Eight films have been nominated, but only one will take home the prize. You're listening to the Quest for the Bestest 2021 Oscar nominees edition from Backlog Banter. Your hosts are Timo Nelson, Tucker Hazel, Tanner Dykstra, and Abram Buner. You can find more of our content on YouTube and Twitter at Backlog Banter. Hey everybody, welcome back to the Quest for the Bestest from Backlog Banner. We're reviewing all the Oscar nominees for the Best Picture Award this year, this year of 2021, and today we're making it up! We're talking about David Fincher's Mank from last year, starring... We got Gary Oldman, Amanda Seyfried... Seyfried? Lily Cyclops enough. Yeah, whatever. Um, we're in the ballpark. We're in the ballpark. Yeah. It's the story of Herman J. Mankiewicz as he tries to write a movie. One of one of the most well known <laughs> movies of all time, Citizen Kane, um, and there's some other prop plot threads in this too that I did not realize were coming. But I think we're gonna talk about that. So just to wrap up, what what uh remind you what was going on in the previous weeks? We've talked about the father. We thought it ranked at number three on our list. So right now, as it stands, Sound of Metal is at the top, followed by Judas and the Black Messiah, the father, and then Minari at place number four. Today we're gonna talk about where. Old Fincher's Mank, as I referred to it last episode, um, where Mr. Mr. Fincher and his brother, I think, who wrote it. Uh, no father. It was his dad, yeah. Oh, okay. So the a father-son father. combo wrote this movie, which we are going to have a discussion about. And to start off the discussion, who's who wants to talk first? I want to uh, start. Abram, okay, you want to start. Okay. Go right ahead. Do you got do you guys know like those steam rooms where you open the door and step in and it's just overwhelming, you know, the steam yeah, trying to enter your body? Yeah, it's like oh. my it's like my shower, yeah. Yes. <laughs> that is the experience of watching Mank. It is so overbearing and obvious, and the dialogue is so up its own ass to the point of convolution. And there is so much happening in this film that I completely lost the plot. It, believe it or not, this film is about writing Citizen Kane, but I don't yeah, think you would not David, have been able to tell that from watching the movie. I don't think David Fincher knew that. Like I texted you guys, I don't think anyone from the Academy watched this movie before nominating it. I don't <laughs> understand how this has ten nominations. I don't think it's offensively bad. I think it's pretty solidly made, but I just think it is so obnoxious. Mm, okay, I, I think I have to agree on one main thing. There is that the plot just gets just lost in this movie there is so many things so many characters that look and act and talk the same and feel the exact same role because well because they're all writers and, and producers and stuff so it makes sense from you know historical perspective but this movie is so unfocused on what it wants to be telling that you just you just can't tell what's going on and i had to keep asking tanner oh who's that guy oh uh, what's going on here did he did he say that what what's even happening in this scene because through a scene I couldn't tell what's going on. And at the end of a scene, I'd be like, whew, I, I have to like really recalibrate my brain to think about this film. <sighs> Mank. Tanner? Oh, I was gonna let, I was gonna let Timo go. You wanna, okay, right. well, I just gonna yeah, say go that this is not, that this movie goes into the category of movies that make me angry, along with Judas <laughs> and the Black Messiah. But <laughs> this movie was not supposed to make me angry. <laughs> this movie pissed me off. I watched it yesterday on my birthday. It pissed me off. Um, there's a lot of elements of this film that are really weird to me. Um, it is so, it is, I would say, the most stylized movie that we've seen so far. And that style doesn't work. I didn't like it. I didn't like, um, I didn't like pretty much any of it. 
I don't quite yeah, get well, how it got 10 awards. Especially, I'm going to talk about the award that I care about the most, Best Sound. It should not be nominated. Oh, okay. <laughs> oh, no. All right. Dan Dykstra, Backlog Banter, give me your pitch. David Defend Old Fincher to make. David Fincher is my favorite director. My favorite modern director, in any case. Um, I think that Mank very clearly comes from a place of love and genuine interest in the er- in the era of filmmaking. Uh, Jack Fincher wrote this screenplay back in like 1992 before he passed away, uh, and I think that uh, uh, David Fincher has said that all uh, this is sort of like his passion project to make this. Obviously, it's a screenplay his father wrote, and they worked on it together. Um, I think it's defocused. I think it's a little jarring in how it presents its stylings, but uh, I, I wasn't. I, I don't come down as hard on it as as you fellas do. So uh, while I'm not crazy about it, uh, I think I will be on on the defense of this movie for most of the, for for most of this. But let it be known on up top that I will probably agree to some extent with most of the criticisms that you guys have. Sure. Yeah. Okay. I mean, that's gonna that's gonna make this an interesting an interestingly formatted discussion here is because. Mm-hmm. I don't have too much to say positively about this film. Not not because I think, as Abram said, it's not egregiously terrible. It's certainly well made, and we're going to talk about its production elements. But uh, man, it's just it's just so confusing. Ten nominations is wild, and I'll just give them to you right now. Okay. Nominated for best picture, best actor for Gary Oldman, which we're going to get into that. Uh, supporting actress for Amanda Seyfried, which. We'll get into that. Uh, director for David Fincher, original score by uh, no Tanner's boy Trent Reznor. Trent Reznor, uh, Atticus Ross, baby. Uh, cinematography, production design, costume design, makeup and hairstyling, and sound. So basically, all the production, mo- like most of the production uh, awards there. Can we start yeah. with cinematography and just to film visually, which I think sure. is incredibly gimmicky and not particularly beautiful. I think there's some really nice shots here, but I, I I think a lot of my problem with the film comes down to how gimmicky it feels. We talked about this with Argo and some of the other Hollywood reflexive films, but whereas something like Argo adds to it, this just felt like an emulation of a style for the sake of emulating a style. And it and I kept thinking to myself, why didn't you just shoot this in color? Why didn't you just let this be a a depiction of the real world events surrounding the creation of Citizen Kane and and give it a little bit more of maybe a biopic focus because it's just not clear what they're trying to accomplish. And because of that, the film just does not, it's not visually interesting to me among the other ways it's not. And I don't know how you guys feel about that. I think the black and white works because it's in the period time, but I would agree that the black and white, that it's not like they, it's it's very high contrast, I would say is how it's shot. It's and even when it's in spaces that are not traditionally presented as high contrast. There's a day, there's like a street scene and there's a pitch black and a bright white in the same frame. And that is a very interesting way. I'm going to say interesting because I think that you you can give that a quality, you know, you can say that that's maybe okay as like a way of shooting stuff. I don't see how it adds to the story a huge amount it's super stylized um and may, you know i thought about it while watching it which is maybe not exactly maybe i don't it's it's just kind of it adds to the confusion i think um but it being in black and white is not an issue for me that's fine you know not a lot of movies are made like that so it's kind of cool i guess but i would think you know if you're shooting a black and white movie you know i shoot i'm gonna keep bringing my camera you know i shoot black and white film 
I think about very different things when I'm shooting black and white when I do color. And I feel like this film might have not, they might mm. not have thought about the element of black and white. You know, it's not about the, you know, the, the color composition, your color centers, your, your, your complementary, your color wheel. It's about light and shadows. And this film kind of misses, I think, on, on the elements of black and white cinematography. I think for me, it's, it's fine that it's in black and white. I, I'm of the opinion that I would like there to be more black and white films to sort of mix things up. And I think that certain things can be done really well when in black and white. I think the White House is a perfect example of that, of, of how that film style is based around it being in black and white and it really enhances the, the tone of the film. This is in black and white because it's supposed to be emulating a, a 30s and 40s, you know, biopics. But the problem is the film is a really high quality so it doesn't it almost doesn't match the black and white quality they're going for also the sound is is echoey lower quality yeah we're gonna we're gonna get into this we're gonna get but into the my, sound my main issue is that the the framing the cinematography is doesn't actually exactly emulate those films i'm familiar with from the older styles and it just feels kind of flat when when you're looking at these shots there's not a lot where i was like okay that that's visually interesting it just kind of seems like they're like okay yeah it's it's in black and white now which isn't very interesting and and, and it's unfortunate when you get moments where the editing and the camera work clearly did have a lot of effort put into it i think the uh, election night montage sequences yes. are so visually that's interesting great it's a great sequence it, Exactly. And it emulates Citizen Kane and it really puts you in that snappy editing, you know, 40s mood. But so much of the movie is not that. And it, and those moments that are visually interesting and do emulate the style properly feel out of place because of it, which makes the rest of it feel out of place, even though it is the place. I think I think we can just boil it down <laughs> to in the confusing elements. I'm confused about what the film is trying to emulate visually. Yeah, and, and solid lighting effects, like emulating the soft lighting on people's faces and stuff. It does, there was clearly a lot of thought put into some of it, and but I don't think it went far enough. The little real, come on, Netflix, you did not, you did not have to add the little real markers. Oh, and the, like, the and like the, burns. And the slight, like, cut in the, um, in, in between when you're supposed to be changing reels, like, yeah. Uh... <laughs> That's like, and I don't needed. know, are they actually paced out to be like the end of a I'm reel? sure, I'm sure they are. I'm sure, I'm they sure are. they are too, which, which, you know, it's kind of cool, but you don't even watch older films with that on it these days. Yeah. They, they, they cut, they cut that out. That. Yeah. Yeah. I think what's extra frustrating to me at least, and not to, to be one of these film studies kids who knows about Citizen Kane, but, but black and white is secondary to like the deep depth of field <laughs> cinematography in that film. And that's the style of Citizen Kane. That's what's interesting about that film's visual aesthetic that's not yeah. here you know and because of that and you add in the little typewriter transitions and the real markers and all of this and for me it just becomes a a very surface level ode to the idea of old hollywood not to citizen kane not to specific filmmaking techniques but to here's an idea of old hollywood and i think that it permeates throughout the script i think it permeates a lot of the performances and i think speaks to why this film got attention from the academy which I, to me just felt, felt really surface level. Tanner, what do you Tanner. have to think about this? Um, I don't know, but I, I'm, I'm about in the same boat as Timo, I think. I didn't mind the black and white. Everything has this sort of, it bothers me up top that everything has this, that everything has like this old, old Hollywood glow around it, you know, some Vaseline on the lens a little bit. Um, I, Tucker pointed out something that I agree with, and we could use this as a transition to talk about Timo's favorite subject about film, the sound. 
But yeah, there's this weird, very jarring juxtaposition between like the 4K camera quality that's just put in black and white and like the, this weird tinny echoey sound design that they go for. Yeah. Yeah, I took me a long time to notice it, but it sounds to me like every line is re-recorded in a room about my size made out of concrete. And so the lines kind of bounce around. You can hear echo of a line taking place outside. We talked yeah. we talked about in our um From Here to Eternity review how on the beach scene in that movie, they go out they, they are talking and you can so clearly hear the room they're recording it and it's on a beach. You know, they're re-recording the dialogue. And out of everything out of everything in old Hollywood to emulate, why would you pick something that is technically inferior that doesn't sure. that doesn't add to the story that doesn't make me feel like I'm watching, you know, sound is not like, you know, the this camera, the cinematography in that kind of element. It's not about, you know, recreating the world. You can recreate the world through all kinds of other means. You can recreate the world through having an old timey radio or having, you know, the creaky floorboards or using older techniques for Foley or whatever. But you should be using the best equipment and the best techniques to make it sound believable and real. And if you're trying to go for this old timey look and feel for the film, you should be supporting that through good sound Instead of this weird choice, I think it must be choice because they would you can't you can't do that and get away with it as a as an ADR re-recording mixer and what like I, not be intentional about it. It sounds what so I weird. Read on the IMDB trivia is that they were intending to emulate what the sound would be like playing from a projector in an old theater. Um, and and that wasn't I don't think that was in the recording. But it was in uh, like in they, the mix. Like, they changed it in the mix, yeah, to like post production to make it sound that way. And uh, I don't think that worked. I, I mean, don't think it worked. I, I, if it's a creative, I mean, it's okay to take risks, um, but you you got to think about how people are watching it. The delivery is an important thing to think about when you're mixing. This is on Netflix. People watch this in their homes. People actually do have pretty good audio exclusively. People, yeah. So you watch it in your home. You watch it usually on a TV in a living room. Living rooms are actually, you know, pretty dense sound. You don't get a lot of reverb some in, in people's living rooms. And so when you add that back in, it's just confusing. There's no basis. You need to, you kind of need to be shown what set things sound like to be understanding of why it sounds the way it does. You know, we don't, I, I don't see something, you know, I don't hear something like random and just like know what it is. You kind of, it, it has to accompany a visual and that choice has no accompanying visual, even with all the other like Vaseline on the lens, cinematic stylings. It just doesn't work. It's so weird. It's such a strange choice. And I can't, I mean, I guess they took the risk, so maybe that's why it's nominated, but I just can't see it winning over something just, just so much better from <laughs> like Sound of Metal. It's just yeah, so mm -hmm. much, Sound of Metal sound is awesome. It's great. And it works because you see it and you hear it. And in this, you only hear it or you only see it. There's no connection between the two, and that's why it drove. It made me mad. It made me angry. Maybe they should have. Maybe they should have made it a silent film. You know, if they would have well, made it, if they would have made it a silent film, or they would have taken out a lot of sounds. If they would have gone with a real dead mix, like really no extra stuff, maybe that could have worked because that would have been more noticeable. But mm. ugh, just that reverb just pisses me off. It's just bad. It just pisses me off. It's like it's like something that it's like amateur. That's it's like amateurish. <laughs> If I'm if I'm gonna sure. you know blow my load on this, I mean it's just kind of like uh, you should 
you try, I try to get rid of those kind of sounds in my own mix. I try to not mm. have them there because they don't sound good. Okay. You rant, know what I'm very excited about? Rant over. I'm very excited to rewatch this video and, and get a stopwatch and see how long your sound rant was because I think that's probably the longest segment we've had in Quest history. Yeah, probably. Um, you can just, I you mean, can feel the passion. Yeah. Now, someone else, Abram, thoughts? Uh, move on to something I, else. Yeah, you can, oh, you can talk about whatever else. you want. I want to talk uh, about the... Oh, sorry, did Abram, did you have something? Well, I was saying, well, I mean, let's just... If we're talking about sounds, we're done with sound. I, I'm at college right now. There's people in dorms make all kinds of heinous sounds. Sound, I can't even tell. I'm listening on Skull Candy earbuds. I'm not going <laughs> to notice the reverb of the sound. I hate to say it. But what I did notice is the performances, which I think vacillate in quality. Mm, For, okay. First off, can we talk about um tom who who plays orson wells very poorly tom, oh that, yeah. that was a jarringly bad performance i have to say in contrast to i think um gary oldman's performance which is melodramatic Good. in certain sequences but on the whole pretty entertaining yeah. yeah i i i first time we saw him and heard his voice i'm like that does not sound or look like Orson Welles, who is incredibly iconic in both his visual stature, <laughs> presence, and his commanding voice. Of course, this is a younger, a younger Orson Welles, but we also know what Orson Welles looked like in that exact time period because he's the star of Citizen Kane. <laughs> well, so, here's the thing. Here, here's what I have to say in, in defense of this, because there's really kind of two ways you can go. There's, there's some... There's not two ways. I, I take that back. You can you can sort of have a range, I suppose. And this movie does go for a, does go for a, a sort of a meeting of uh, when you're doing a biopic, when you're doing a recreation of a historical figure, you can either go full on into re, into method acting their appearance and their delivery and their their in their intent. The cut. What's the word I'm looking for? How you speak. I intonation. keep forgetting this word. Intonation in in their speech patterns. Or you can go a more loose interpretation of that person and just sort of focus on the them as a person and the performance, uh, not in the not in those minutia ways. And this, I think, goes for a bit of a mix. Uh, they it, it might have been a little bit gimmicky. Maybe they went they focused on someone who they could get to look like Orson Welles a little bit and they didn't not really nail the voice or something like that. But I don't. I guess I don't really care if he, if he, if you tell me that's Orson Welles and he acts like Orson Welles, then I don't care if his like, oh, his his cheekbones are a little off or his voice doesn't sound exactly the same. But I, I can look overlook that. I'm generally of of the same mind with a lot more of a one to one issue, like when you're trying to digitally recreate or de-age people. I'm, you yeah. know, if you get in the ballpark, sure. And if you and if you're doing a completely different performance like this, I'm not so worried about emulating Orson Welles one-to-one for me i've seen citizen kane once and beat it to death in class and paper after that so honestly i wasn't looking for mannerisms i was just looking for not a a hammy performance of him picking up the liquor and like throwing it just all his performance felt so out of place and for such an important figure and also for the fact that in the last 10 minutes of the film we get a tension between these two characters that just ends yeah i wanted i wanted something a little bit better you know, and maybe it's because the other performances, I think, on the whole, are, are pretty good, even if they are a little bit melodramatic, like in that long, let's re let's just recount the plot of, of Citizen Kane to the guys at the table as the camera oh. follows us. Like, it's a little bit ham-fisted, but I do think, on the whole, you know, Gary Oldman's pretty good. 
That's a problem. I think he's only pretty good. I didn't love the performance, and I think that's because the character is not very interesting. He's not hes not an interesting of a guy. He did something interesting, but the formatting of the story does not put enough focus on this character. You have no reason to want to be attached to him. You're dropped halfway through his story. You show up just, you know, the beginning of the thing is just bam. And and also, it's cut back and forth between flashbacks. So I really didn't feel like his performance was given time to progress as a character because he just kind of he was just kind of there. He's kind of a, a background of him in his own story, and I felt that was pretty unfortunate. Yeah. I, oh, sorry. Uh, um. Um. I think he, this this movie does something interesting in in that it does like doesn't it doesn't give you a biopic. It doesn't give you the complete life story of of Herman Mankiewicz. It drops you in this particular moment in time around the era that he's writing. Uh, Citizen Kane. But you are correct because you can do that and also give him a character arc where he learns and he changes, which mm -hmm. Herman Mankiewicz does not in this. He starts out as this kind of tragic character who puts on this facade of being a fast-talking, wisecracking guy. And when the movie ends, he's slightly more tragic, I guess, is the only character development he has. Am I am I on the nose there? Do you guys think? Well, I think I think he's a more interesting character than you guys are giving him credit for. I think that I think this sort of political, social Hollywood debate with the Upton Sinclair plot line yeah. and him writing um, Citizen Kane. I think these are well done, but I think the problem is the script, which I don't think is very good in this movie. No, mm -hmm. and I want to talk about it because I I think it's a victim of that. Gary Oldman can only be pretty good because. He's already trying to elevate material that's not very well written or very well structured. You know, yes. I think that's the bigger problem. I I mean, it feels amateurish, like Timo was saying, amateur, you know, amateur hour here in Mank with Mr. David Fincher. The problem is <laughs> Jack Fincher never wrote a script before or since, and he died. And I don't care if he's dead. I don't I'll make fun of him. I don't give a shit. But I think this is a bad script. I really do. I think so many of the lines are just forced. I think that the pacing of the dialogue is intended to emulate something, but it doesn't quite get there. And I just felt that so many of the lines didn't portray what I was expecting out of the scenes. And it made me feel lost and confused for so much of the runtime. I think the choice to go back and forth between writing the film and showing the inspiration for the film was interesting, but didn't quite work because we got very lost in the plot line of the Upton Sinclair governor run. We yes. got very lost in what was going on there. And and I, I remember thinking to myself, I said, I self, I said, um, like, wait, well, who's Upton? Isn't this movie about writing Citizen Kane? Why are we talking about governor races and the GOP and and and, and all these guys? And, and I mean, I know Kane is based on William Randolph Hearst, and I know that's an important story, but it's just, it it was very, the jumping back and forth is almost like they would get a time where be like, okay, I, I want to go back and see him write, or I want to go back and see, because I kind of liked his interactions with the, with his, um, with the secretary and the the Frau Linda Alexander, played by Lily Collins. Yeah, I mm -hmm. like that. That whole scene was in those whole spaces were interesting. Spaces. I like seeing the um the like the writing process happen, but it it, it I got lost very easily, and I didn't quite enjoy yeah. the, the other the other plot line of the film. I guess. Oh uh, yeah, we don't get we don't get a lot of him writing in this. We get a lot of the inspiration, and uh, like I said, I watched this when it first came out, so I, this is my second time watching it to review this, and I was able to follow the plot pretty pretty well. I mean, uh, I that comes from me seeing it beforehand, obviously. I mean, I think I but, could tell you what happened, but um, it doesn't mean that I wasn't like a little questioning or a little confused well, yeah. at points in the middle. 
I agree that the movie needs a pretty tight edit, and you know, may, it, it, that's what the script too. The script and the movie, either one needs a tight edit on it to make it more focused. Because yeah, do you? I get that it wants to do the inspiration thing for him writing Citizen Kane, but it does feel like we kind of crammed two stories into one: the the political intrigue of like 1934, and then the writing of Citizen Kane in 1939, and the drama surrounding that, and. There's some there's some impacts that uh, follow across that time jump, but those those typewriter those typewriter interludes that cut between each each timeline just come at very jarring times. Like, okay, we're we're going back in time, we're going forward in time now, and I got to remember who this fast talking greasy haired Hollywood exec is compared to the other two that we just saw in the last time jump, and now some of them are dead, some of them are friends with Mank, some of them aren't friends with Mank anymore. It's um yeah the it's it's an issue. I think the problem and where it gets confusing is that the the that the flashback we're flashing back a couple of years, you know, and yeah. we're not we're not going back to to oh little young. This isn't Godfather two. We're not going from yeah. the grown man to the child, and and I think that contributes to part of the issue where shit we're flashing back. We're having these very stylistic transitions, but ultimately this material all runs together. And the material, I think, it's telling more than two stories. I think you've got a political story. I think you have a biopic. I think you have the writing of Citizen Kane. You've got the fallout of writing Citizen Kane in, in the last three minutes of the movie. Mm. I just think that the way that it chooses to dole out information and, and what it decides is necessary or unnecessary is really bizarre. The entire sequence talking about Hitler is bizarre. That is a well, bizarre I, part of the film. I actually really enjoy that, that, that 4th of July fireside scene. I don't quite I know really how it fits, that. but I did like it. Yeah. With, uh, with him and Amanda Seyfried? Wait, I don't um, know what we're talking about, to be honest. The, when the, fire, the American... fireside chat scene. Oh, 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 yes. Before well, that, but, right before it. Yeah. It's emblematic of, I think, the problem with the film because it's interesting. I think this is a film that has very interesting sequences. But if you're going to make an interesting sequence, what is it really worth if it's not really moving stuff forward? And sure, it moves things forward. It adds texture. It adds character. But ultimately, why was that given so much time when these other things weren't? This just is this is this is a poorly budgeted film, and it comes back yeah. to the script. That's the first time that we get an inclination to Mank's political uh, ideals, and that plays into obviously the the larger plot of that 1934 timeline. But you are right that it it's given a lot of time that should be allocated to other things. As much as I enjoyed that scene because it's packed full of fast talking wisecracking Gary Oldman being Herman Mankiewicz. And uh, I also really enjoy Charles Dance as uh, Hearst in this movie as well. Uh, but yeah, I think you, you are correct in saying that this is the time and the energy is poorly budgeted in this film. Now, I think my main issue with the writing and the pacing and everything that you guys are saying with the confusion of it all is I couldn't really find myself caring too much about the political intrigue of it when there was really no... slow introduction to it i feel like it ramped up really quickly and we were just after a couple other sequences hit right in the face with bam political dialogue political dialogue political dialogue of an era i'm not familiar with of an era that i don't have any reason to necessarily particularly care because i don't really care about this character and we don't know his political motivations till until significantly later on and because all the characters are so samey and have pretty samey political value like there's just so much sameness going on i wouldn't have been able to tell you who charles dance was i i I know who uh, william randolph hearst is because i know the history of citizen kane not because this movie portrayed its character particularly interestingly 
there were a handful that I thought were interesting side characters with unique performances, and I knew their role in the whole thing, but over half the cast just felt like they were filling the same role, and I just got incredibly confused because I didn't really care. I think that speaks cynically to why the film was nominated, because this is a film for an in-group of an in-group. Yeah. This is a very... This film was made for the very tip of the precipice of people who care about all of these things, which I think is unfortunate because there, there is a very interesting story here. But what, like Tucker said, with how complicated it can be with, with this political dialogue and everything and how, how I was talking about the indulgence earlier, this is an overindulgent way to tell a very interesting story to a very specific group of people who already care. And I think yeah. that's disappointing. I think the problem is this film just needed more focus. I started talking about this at the beginning, but I think there is a couple interesting storylines here, but I just don't think they necessarily need to be together. I think the story of writing Susan Kane, following Mank a little more closely, maybe a, a more clear timeline with a smaller cast of characters, more focus on Orson Welles, maybe a little more focus on the production of Citizen Kane. I think that's a that's a fascinating story. I would love to see that. I also would be pretty interested in the drama, political drama surrounding it. Maybe if it was a little more separated from, from the Citizen Kane whole thing. I think the fact that they just tried to tell both these stories, neither of them get enough breathing room. And it, I just felt like I couldn't connect to either of them because of that. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, yeah, if we, if we could take a break, uh, from from this in-depth uh, cinematic analysis and talk about something a little more light, that being the suicide scene. Oh, okay. We're going... <laughs> because that suicide scene is some of the most unintentionally humorous shot-to-shot editing I've seen put to a film. <laughs> because you get you get Mank, he, he has the conversation with uh, Shelly. Shelly. Uh, and he drives back to his wife's house, and he's like, all right, don't worry, I got the gun. No, you got a handful of bullets, right? Yes. You got a handful of bullets. And he's like, boom, there we go. Dust my hands off. Time to go to bed. And she's like, no, wait. He had a whole box. And we get a we get a Gary Oldman like, and then we get a hard cut to an exterior of the window, just and then cut black. straight <laughs> to something else. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so it was funny the first time we watched it, and it continued to be funny the second time <laughs> I watched it. That is such and, an insulting sequence. It makes Herman look stupid. Yeah, I think that's what's most frustrating about it, because, of course, you take the for a smart guy, politically involved, incredible writer, great in Hollywood, really good with people, doesn't Mm -hmm. take the gun. It's so bizarre. Yeah, it's also a mile away. It's like one of his best friends. And he's known this guy for years. And he's like, well, got the bullets. Time to drive back to this his house without giving another thought to what to what might go on in that room. And there's no there's like no repercussions to it either. No. Yeah, and I think the problem with that for me is that's honestly one of the more interesting storylines is is Shelley's grief of causing so much political unrest by he's just trying to get ahead in the world. And also he has a degenerative disease that's only brought up at the end. Like his storyline is actually one of my favorite parts of the film. And I think it combines the, the Hollywood and the political stuff in a really interesting way and a character that I actually care about and that is somewhat unique. And then his life has ended like that in, as Tanner said, a pretty comedically edited way unintentionally I, I probably hope so uh and then it's just never really come back to and we get a we get a funeral right after that but it's it's not for, him uh, not for him who is it it's for selznick no it's for uh irving thalberg yeah um yeah. who is a character that is just kind of a dick throughout and and then that that funeral sequence has not a lot of weight because we didn't see him die it's just it's just really unfortunate 
Uh, let's see what else do I got. Oh, I like the uh, the walk and talk that they do with LB Mayer. When yeah. he's like, where do I feel emotion here? Oh here. yeah, and here. Yeah, that's pretty good. <laughs> uh, and then he he does he gets up on his soapbox and he's like, well, uh, uh, my family, my my family of MGM, just don't take a pay, just take a pay cut for eight weeks. That's all you want. Uh, we'll, we'll get through this together for just eight weeks. And he's like, these idiots. He's I'm I'm making money on the down low. I'm trying to sell my company to some other person. He I I enjoyed LB Mayer. And that whole side of the show business stuff, which is, again, another story that could have been explored in a very interesting yeah. way. But uh, th- the balance that they try to s- that they try to strike with this movie just doesn't work. And I think it comes from, like I said, up top, Jack Fincher's genuine interest in this era and trying to tie all these things into one screenplay because he's so interested and he loves all this stuff. But it just needed the tight edit is all it needed. Needed what some, some problem, killing of darlings. Yeah. The the problem is it goes from taking all of these things in a very overt way. Here's overtly this man's life is ruined because of Hollywood and because of the films he's producing. He killed himself. Very overt. This guy's manipulating the Hollywood structure. Very overt. Then let's drop him. You got you got it. Now let's now let's move on. They, I feel like the things are picked up and dropped. I I I, I messaged our group chat and said what I love about Manic is how subtle it is, which is of <laughs> course not true. And I think that's part of the problem. There is not only a lack of focus, but I think a lack of cohesive plot threads that, that would have really contributed. And again, like Tucker was saying, there are these moments, these, these B plots that are really interesting, like Orson and, and, and Mank having the dispute over the credit, which, <laughs> yes. which just dissolves. Disappointing. Mm. If you're going to spend so much time on these other things, give us even just five minutes of, 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 of afterward, because I, I think, again, talking about great moments of the film, when Mank is accepting his Oscar, and he's like, this uh, this is accepted the same way that, the, that it was written without Orson Welles, there's, there, there's some really fun lines, but, mm-hmm. and now we're going to end the movie. And there you go. Yeah. Yeah. You know? it, um, it does have a, a, a bit of a, a, a quizzical and a little unsatisfying ending. It's, it's does, it, doesn't, it doesn't make me feel... Hmm. Doesn't make you feel here. No, here. certainly here. and certainly not here. Oh. <laughs> um, I, I would like the scene. Uh, I think by and large, we haven't talked about Amanda Seyfried a lot, most because she's a supporting actress. Uh, I liked her. Uh, she's good as Marion Davies. Um, I think my my favorite scene of her is not when they're walking around the, the Citizen Kane uh, set with very bad CGI animals, uh, but instead where uh Mank hops into the car. He's like, "All right, uh you got to go t- back and tell LB Mayer that you're that you're uh something's happened." I don't that, fucking well, remember. It's um It's about go, the it's about the tell... newsreel tapes. It's about yeah, the, the uh, you have to tell tapes or whatever. We're going to play a prank on LB Mayer and you go tell him that uh Hurst doesn't want those newsreels played. It's going to be a great joke. Everyone's going to love it. And she's like, "I'd really like to, but uh I already made my exit." And like all that, all that like genuine heart to heart connection that they had just kind of dissolves as he's like, oh, you're just as vapid and showbiz obsessed as everyone else in this in this town. And he gets out of the car. I didn't really pick up on that, but you're kind of right that that is sort of how it ends. And I think the problem why I didn't really pick up on that is I couldn't really tell what her character was going for. I mean, is is she a little bit 
not she's 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 the daughter of someone famous so she's just kind of in here by proxy she doesn't have well, a lot of experience the, but she's but i don't know who she job. is because i don't yeah. quite know the history so i'm like i'm like is she yeah. her relative daughter lover well, what is oh yeah it, I, it's lover i understand that uh, it's, it, his, it's historically it's lover okay that's what you i was guessing text. at by the end of the film but i did not know mm -hmm. that for far too long well, because we get that great expository sequence where we're sitting and drinking wine together and we explain her entire life. Yeah. I think for me, I am a film history aficionado, self-proclaimed, and I, I think most people would agree with that if they know me, mm -hmm. uh, is, is I was most excited for this film in kind of the way that turned off the rest of you guys is in group of in group of, of references and names that I recognized. And when there were there were pops like uh like joseph von sternberg being like in the background like oh i know him i know the films he directed i i know what the role he served in hollywood i know why he's important and those moments were just kind of not sprinkled throughout enough for me which is you know a very niche thing but i don't know enough about the, the characters that i focused on for me to really be able to apply my own knowledge to it so i kind of just felt like i was grasping for straws and it really kind of killed a lot of the experience for me and especially because the characters' backstories are only like halfway fleshed out. And I don't know if I'm even interested to learn about them now, which is probably the exact <laughs> opposite way that Jack Fincher wanted me to feel coming off this film. <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, no, another scene, I, I want to shout out two more scenes, one of which we've alluded to and one which we haven't talked about at all. Uh, so I'm going to go with uh, the one that Tucker really liked as well because it had Joseph von Sturberg. Uh, and that is the the sort of pitch meeting where they where they're where they're throwing it back and forth to each other where they're just BSing a movie. They're obviously just it making together. it up in the spot. Great making scene. It, that was fun. Making it up as they go along. That is, they have some great chemistry that writers room does. And if the the movie had focused on that showbiz, you know, the the in studio Hollywood uh, intrigue, that charisma of that writers room would have been very interesting to see. Yeah. But we see it in one scene. Um. So yes. Uh, the second scene is the expository scene that Abram talked about, which, again, I like because I really like the interplay of Charles Dance as Hearst and Gary Oldman as Mankiewicz as this sort of because they basic this is their rivalry. Their Susan Cain was founded on their rivalry, essentially, and we don't get a lot of it. But in the scenes we do get, I really enjoy it, especially that last final monologue where he's walking a, a you know this a drunken Mankiewicz out the door and he's telling him about this dancing monkey who thinks he controls the music and he controls the monkey owner when in fact that's it's the opposite case mm -hmm. and it's pretty it's a ham-fisted metaphor uh for Abram it lacks subtleism but uh I like that scene nonetheless mm -hmm. yeah. well I think it's time for you three to vote now on your phones I think i might I'm voting now on my hands know where it goes um after what we've been saying do we want to just vote on our hands let's vote on our hands yeah. let's not yeah. worry about it we're gonna vote five all around um so five out of five last place i do i do feel bad for fincher because he is a well-known and good director um and yeah. even yeah. even with the film getting all those nominations it just it has a lot of issues and it's even it, it does make me feel worse that it's a passion project of his and it's his mm -hmm. father's script and so i mean damn that would make me feel really horrible to um to produce a movie and then to hear some lunkhead college students talk about how all the problems stem from the script which is written well, by your dead dad 
David Fincher, uh, if you're watching this, I love you. I love every other one of your movies except for The Curious Kansas of Benjamin Button and Alien 3, which I haven't seen, but are probably not great uh, airing on the side of average to not great. But you are my favorite director. <laughs> you are my favorite director. Uh, I think you make some fantastic movies that have a very you know, gritty and driving forward pace to them. And I understand that this was your passion project. Uh, I understand and appreciate the the heart and the effort that you put into this. It just didn't hit on on the right notes. And uh, you'll come back from it, though, champ. You'll be all right. <laughs> I have a really I have a really clumsy metaphor to make, so I might need your help with this one. All right, I'll, I'll, I'm here. Support the way that I read articles about Easter eggs in the Star Wars movie, or Tucker mm-hmm. reads articles about Easter eggs in the Marvel movie. Is how people like Martin Scorsese read articles about Easter eggs in Mank. Mank, yeah, Mank is a is a cinephile's blockbuster, and it's really not accessible or particularly focused or well written or fun to watch. But it'll win a few Oscars. It probably will. <laughs> yeah, I think for me, Mank is just a severe disappointment because I went into it knowing that you know people were pretty divided on it all things considered and i i went in with really passionate hopes i was trying my hardest throughout the whole runtime to be like okay no i i like this aspect of it. i think the production design which we didn't talk about is is fantastic i mean yeah I it's it, great it kind of it fits the era and it but it's they do a fantastic job of that i love the backlots and stuff it all all looks great but and i was i was trying to keep pulling on those things that i really did care about and thought were interesting but when the structure doesn't work when I don't find the characters very interesting, when the dialogue is overwhelming, when it's not paced properly, I just can't find out why I would care. And my opinion on this film has dropped during our d- during our discussion here. I, I think it's worse than I was letting off when I finished it yesterday. Um, and it's easily, I think, uh, having seen all of the Best Picture nominees now, I think it's the worst. I, I'm I'm very happily solid putting it at last place but it's also just underwhelming to me because i was i was excited for it as as a film history fan like i wanted to see this my my me and martin scorsese you know handshake digging through the easter eggs of of (laughs) hollywood history i wanted to be able to do that and be excited about this have to be one of my favorite things but who really let me down manka is actually just kind of bad not gonna lie Um, it's a bad movie uh, i didn't know if i would say it was bad we didn't off, talk though. about p- positives almost at all. The entire review. It's a bad movie. Uh, <laughs> Bill Nye, the socialist guy. Oh, yeah. We didn't talk about his cameo. That was fun. Oh, Bill Nye's in it. He's Upton Sinclair. Uh, it's a fun little thing. That's huh. cute. Wow, weird. I didn't I recognize that, that voice. You didn't recognize his voice echoing from across the street? No, I didn't Great. because I was too distracted by the echoes not being correct. <laughs> oh, sure. Okay. But. <laughs> In any case, uh, is that the final note on Mank Boys? Have we sufficiently manked it? I, Tim, I want to hear your closing thoughts. Well, my closing thoughts are pretty similar. Um, it's it's a confusing film for me that that uh, the more I got confused, I felt a lot like um, Anthony in The Father. I got confused <laughs> because I didn't know what was going on, and therefore I got angry. Um and I wanted to say mean things to the movie. I didn't. Um, I don't think it it needs to be yelled at any more than we've yelled at it. Um, you know, it's not horribly long. I'm glad it's not three hours at least. That would be a bit painful. Um, yeah. Production design is nice. I think that it 
it has a possibility to win in cinematography just because of its very differentness. I don't know if I agree with that. I really freaking hope it doesn't win sound. I'm going to be unbelievably <laughs> mad. I'm going to be so upset if it wins sound. Um, <laughs> I, please, please. All right. Okay, team. It's fine. We know. We get it. We got it. Bad sound. Sound of metal has sound in the title, so it's not going to lose. Exactly. That's it's I sound yes. That's I just repeat that to myself as I go to sleep. It's it's the only mm. it's it's what helps me stay sane. I think it's gonna be Greyhound. <laughs> <laughs> so okay. that was that was about that was about it. That was a we yeah. really we really went all out on Mank there. Um, mm-hmm. You know, interesting to see films that we disagree with getting nominated. Good to watch them nonetheless. Um, you know. Interesting to think about Netflix making making movies like this, and and you know, it doesn't have to pull in box office returns because it's on Netflix only. So, mm-hmm. yeah, true. you know, will will they define it as a success? I think they will because it got all these nominations. Um, yeah. and that's true. That's enough for the, That's enough for Netflix. They they really just kind of want the want the prestige to keep bringing in directors like Fincher to make more of uh make more of the movies that they want to, which you know. True. I'm going to say it all in all is probably good. Um, you know, a net positive for the industry, let people make what they want without what, um, you know, without restrictions and without studios coming in and messing it all up. Even if passion, <laughs> even if passion can maybe drive it a little too far. So, yeah, that's sure all Snyder Abrams, Abrams giving a hefty nod over there, but I'm going to pivot what Timo said. I'm going to ignore Abrams nods of, of a pleasure. And I'm going to pivot from what Timo said. Thank you, Netflix. And uh, we're going to be moving into our last yes. non-streaming Best Picture nominee next time. We are going to be talking about Promising Young Woman by Emerald Fennell or Fennell. I don't really know, but it's starring Carrie Mulligan, Bo Burnham, uh, Allison Brie, Molly Shannon, a whole cast of fun characters who actually play pretty terrible people all around. So uh, gear up, everyone. We got a feel bad good editing <laughs> movie a feel bad good editing movie full of pretty terrible characters overall so wow you well, you you sold me i'm i'm yeah. sold so that's what we'll be talking about next time thank you all for joining me um you know quest for the bestest on on all the podcast platforms it's on youtube as well if you want to watch um and if you're watching on youtube remember to hit like and subscribe and let you know rage at us in the comments let let me know how much how wrong i am about the sound and, uh, well, I'll, I have no choice but to listen to it. Okay, we'll be mm-hmm. back next time. Thank you all. Peace.